this verse because it captures what we're seeking for and what the church covenant teaches us about. That verse reads, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And of course, this was the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea here, one accord, one place, covenanted together, is the idea, thus the church covenant. And today we're going to go into more detail, having presented a couple of messages, kind of by way of introduction, what have you known, covenanting, and going into more detail today on that first paragraph. So you can look at it up here on the wall, or if you have the copy I gave you, it reads thus, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. And the key thing in that, from the very onset, you notice, is having been led as we believe, by the Holy Spirit. That's the precursor to everything else that is said. Now, we believe that as believers because the Bible teaches it, number one. The Bible teaches that the Spirit of God leads. If God leads, the Son leads, the Spirit leads, remember it's all in unison, so it doesn't matter who it says, It is all one in the same. But in particular, since Christ's ascension, the vicar of Christ on earth is the Holy Spirit, not the Pope. It is the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit here who leads God's people, the church, and us individually. Now it states there, having been led as we believe. So we believe it primarily because the Bible teaches it. But also, as far as the handouts I gave you, where it says, I, well, you believe it because the Spirit led you. It is also personal. We believe it collectively because the Bible teaches it, but we believe it personally because as children of God, we are to be led by the Spirit of God, not just know it, but experience that as believers. Now, I want to pause right there and say this is the natural tendency of the born-again believer is to be willing to be led. And you might examine your soul today and just ask yourself the question that I'm about to ask, how much are you willing to be led? How much are you willing to submit? And I ask that on the premise of the fact that as sinners, it is not a natural thing to be willing to be led. Sinners don't like to be led at all. None of us did. We have that rebellious, sinful, selfish spirit. We don't like to be told. We don't like to be told where to go, where to get, what to do, how to do it. We don't like to, we we want to lead if anything, we don't want to be led. But the grace of God gives us a spirit of submissiveness whereby we are willing to be led. And in fact, it gives us a fear of going forward without being led as we mature as Christians. 
So this in and of itself is a blessing. That we can say the Bible not only teaches it, but I believe it and I have been led. I want to be led and I'm scared if I'm not being led. That should be our attitude. And there are four to five things in this first paragraph that we could enumerate there. We'll go through them. You can call it four, you can call it five, really doesn't matter. We're going to cover it all. But again, it is a process that the Spirit of God chronologically does. In other words, you didn't just end up or should not have ended up in this church by accident or coincidence or on a recommendation of somebody as I have told each of you who have come here for membership if you don't feel the spirit of God's leading you here then we don't want you here and you don't want to be here because that's what the Bible teaches and we will continue to do that because the Bible teaches that in that in fact one of the greatest damages that And what we're studying here now is this false and erroneous statement, join the church of your choice. That's not the Bible, folks. That originates with men. It may have come from a zeal and sincerity of wanting to see people in church. We should all have that desire. But we want people in church because God puts them there, not because we put them there or entice them to be there. And this thing's been around a long time. Just join the church of your choice. Everybody likes that, don't they? Because it gives you the decision to be a part of whatever you want to. To what feels right to you. To do what you want to, when you want to, where you don't want to. And if you don't like it, you can change it. Just join the church of your choice. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. That's straight out of hell. Because of all the churches that are out there, Satan's got a lot more of them than the Lord does. Always had. So, so you just invited people into Satan's playground so to speak, when you say, join the church of your choice. And there's not one verse of Scripture that will substantiate that, but there are quite a few that will contradict it. So, we have no use for that whatsoever. I've never, by the grace of God, told anybody that, and by the grace of God, I never will tell anybody that. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 here, at the end of this chapter, if you want to just flip a page or maybe it's on your page there, the last thing said after the day of Pentecost there is, the last sentence in verse 47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. The Lord saves His people the Lord brings His people by the leadership of the Holy Spirit to His church. People who are left to their own choice about churches will, by majority, I assure you, choose the wrong church. I've been doing this long enough to know that people go to church for more wrong reasons than they do right reasons. People can be offended by the time we're in here today and never come back. Or... 
They don't, our building used to be too small. Well, it's plenty big now, you know, and it, one thing or another, we went through all of that. This church has. All the wrong reasons. But the Bible says the Lord adds to His church because, you know what, it's the Lord's church after all, and He builds it as it pleases Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll share this scripture with you later on in the message, but it literally says that He has set the members in the church as it pleased Him. Now, where's join the church of your choice in that? It's simply not there. So, a person, a believer, should always seek the Lord's will in everything, and particularly concerning membership in the Lord's church. But a person who is a born-again believer and a follower of Christ seeks to be led of the Spirit, they don't want to be anywhere but where the Lord wants them to be. The last place we want to be is outside of the will of God and not be in the place where the Lord wants us to serve. So, what does the Bible say? Seek and ye shall find. A person that seeks the Lord's will will find the Lord's will by the Spirit's leading. But let me remind you, 1 John 4, 1 says, Try the Spirit's. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. You can feel led for a lot of reasons, and a lot of them can be wrong. The devil has a leading. He leads by temptation, by enticement, by, you know, the sugar-coated stuff, and the trinkets, and the bells, and the whistles. So our flesh naturally can feel led. We need to try the spirits. What is the Lord's will in that respect? Several things here in the paragraph. Let's look at them led of the Spirit. And the first thing it says there is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That means that we have obeyed the conditions of the gospel. We have repented of our sins and sought the Lord Jesus Christ for remission of our sins, of course, based upon the meritorious sacrifice by His own blood. But actually things begin before we actually do that. And that's literally what we are talking about is conversion. To receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior is conversion. But God actually does things by, in, and through the Spirit of God to bring about our conversion. And if He did not do that, none of us would be converted. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Spirit of God that Christ was talking to Nicodemus about when he talked about the new birth and that you must be born again. So it all begins with a sinner who is dead in trespasses and sins, as all of us were, and the first thing that begins is the initial quickening or making alive of that sinner who is dead. Ephesians 2.1 You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You didn't ask to be quickened. I didn't ask to be quickened. You didn't know what quickened was and neither did I. This is a sovereign act of God that He and He alone can do and He does it upon all whom He has chosen and given to the Son and we don't know who they are. But everyone that has been saved has been initially quickened by the Spirit of God. Several references Christ made there in John 3 to Nicodemus of that, and that it was in and of the Spirit. Verse 5, he says, 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except it be man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So the quickening of the Spirit is a tri- is, or the new birth is attributed to the quickening of the Spirit, making alive, born again. And this is presented in Scripture in a number of ways. We'll be brief here in a few. But it means taking that stony heart away and replacing it with a fleshly heart, as Ezekiel describes that. It's also synonymous with Acts 16 where the Bible says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. That is being born again, having an open heart, a live heart. Also means the eyes of your understanding being open. The scales coming off your eyes, spiritually blind. The new birth gives sight to the spiritual understanding. Likewise, the deaf ears, as we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. The Lord must open the ears to the gospel message. So all of these things are in reference to the new birth that the Holy Spirit brings about. And when the new birth occurs, when person is quickened, then that sinner is now no longer dead but as having the stony heart that is insensitive and without feeling removed and a fleshly one put in, just like your fleshly heart beating, it is sensitive. If you have a heart attack, you're going to feel it if you don't fall over dead first because there's nerves, there's living tissue, there's blood flowing there. So there's a sensitivity that Ezekiel captures in putting a fleshly heart in there. So when you're born again, you now are sensitive to the gospel message, the word of God, spiritual things. You're no longer just the natural soulish man of 1 Corinthians 2.14, but you have been quickened in that which is dead. So you're sensitive to the word and the gospel which says repent of your sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things take meaning now. You have conviction of those things. The word that you had heard before that was meaningless now has meaning. Now there's a prompting. Now there's a compulsion, a conviction to do something or else I perish. This is captured numerous places in the scripture. Again, we'll try to be brief. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, For our gospel came not to you in word only. Most of the time, that's the word in Sunday school this morning we described. The gospel goes forth and people hear it and think nothing of it. It has no effect on them. In fact, many times it may have more of a negative effect than it does a positive effect. However, when it comes in the power of the Holy Spirit, as stated here, it didn't come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. This is what we hope for and pray for. And in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So that's what we're talking about, about quickening makes a person sensitive to the gospel message, able 
to hear the gospel message. Again, it couldn't be any plainer than it is with Lydia in Acts 16, whose heart the Lord opened. And what happened then? That she attended unto the things spoken of by Paul. Not only heard it, but then obeyed it. Whereas before, even though she is sitting in a prayer meeting of a woman on the riverbank, she was dead in trespasses and sin. So that's it in a nutshell. Paul also in 2 Thessalonians mentioned this very clearly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 reads, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath first from the beginning chosen you to salvation. How is it accomplished? Through sanctification. A sanctification, remember, is a setting apart unto holiness. So if God has chosen those who will be saved and given them to Christ, it is the Spirit that sanctifies. In this sense, cuts them out of the herd, if you will. Sanctification of the Spirit. Then what? Belief of the truth. The Spirit must initiate its work or they'll never believe belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the sinner now repents of sin and embraces by faith the finished work of Christ and is converted. All this brought about by the Holy Spirit of God. This literally is what Christ was speaking about in John 6 when he said, No man can come unto the Father except the Father which has sent me draw him. John's Gospel chapter 6 and verse 44. And then in verse 65 of the same chapter he says, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father, or my Father brings it about. So, when you receive Christ, or came to Christ, or were converted unto Christ, it was the Holy Spirit that had brought you there, that had brought all this to pass to you at that moment and at that point. Now, the second thing is... After the Spirit of God does this and we are converted, we have, of course, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in all believers from the moment of quickening. Alright? And He never leaves. He abides with you forever. His presence and power is in proportion to your obedience and submission and feeding upon the Word of God. But you can't get rid of Him. You don't want to get rid of Him, and He's not going away for a very simple, simple reason. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and we will show you that. He's there for a reason and a purpose, and it is not a futile purpose. It will be a success to some degree. Philippians 1 verse 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. When the Spirit of God quickens your dead spirit, that work started right at that moment. We don't know when that was. God does. I'm not going to tell anybody that I know when I was quickened. 
The Bible doesn't tell us that we can know when we're quickened. The only way you can know when you are quickened is when, like the wind blowing, you see the effects of that. I can tell you the date I was converted, but I can't tell you the moment I was quickened. I would say from my own experience, it was sometime within 24 hours of the time I was converted from the Sunday school message and a couple other things. But I don't really know. And we don't need to dwell on that. But we know it is real because when the Spirit of God starts, He doesn't stop. I read to you this morning about Felix and Drusilla, and Felix got a little stirred up. I mean, he trembled when Paul preached, right? And uh, somebody could say, well, okay, the Spirit of God quickened him. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Next verse says he wanted to bribe to bring Paul back. He wasn't interested in the things of God. He wasn't concerned about the things Paul preached about, righteousness, temperance, and judgment. He wasn't scared for his soul. He wasn't fearful of hell and judgment and God. He just got a little emotional. He got a little shook up. I've done that many times as a kid before God actually saved me. Maybe you have too. But the bottom line is, when the Spirit of God actually brings about the new birth, He doesn't go away. It may come and go or what have you, like, like the wind blowing. You may feel it, you may feel not feel it, but it's still there. And eventually, there will be conversion. Because as the Scripture says, once the Spirit of God starts... He always succeeds in bringing about conversion in the sinner. Chapter 2, verse 13. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. There again, that's that Spirit working from the new birth thereafter. This is why we want to be led of the Spirit, because the presence of the Spirit teaches us Spirit leads. When I lead, guess what? Get in all kinds of trouble. But when the Spirit of God leads, hey... It's as good as it's going to get even when the road is bumpy, rocky, and crooked and everything else. So, we obviously can't be led of the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit. So we do have the Spirit when we are converted and believe in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 through 16 makes this abundantly clear. Couldn't be stated any plainer. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. We might just pause there and consider. What about those that are not led by the Spirit of God? Well, they're not the sons of God. The fruit of the presence of the Spirit is the leadership of the Spirit. We won't go and read it, but do remember in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Where the Spirit is there, there's going to be certain fruits just because He is there. Love, joy, compassion, peace, and different things, you know. Verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which is the most intimate utterance of Father one can utter. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we have his presence, therefore we can be led by him. I want to say also that this is exactly the same thing as following Christ. You know, some people say, well, I want to follow Christ and I'm following Christ. And uh, you look at what they're doing or what they're believing or what, and it's contrary to what the Bible teaches. 
Well, they're deceived. You know, and I'm not saying that in judgment. We can all be deceived. I'm stressing the importance of being led of the Spirit that what we feel is right can be wrong if we are not studious and seeking the leadership of the Spirit. Again, try those spirits. The 23rd Psalm. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still He leadeth me in the valley of shadow of death. The leadership or the following Christ in Psalm 23 is the same thing as being led by the Holy Spirit. It's not two different things. It is identically the same thing. It's the same thing Christ taught in John 10 when he said, The sheep hear my voice and follow me. Well, Christ is not here speaking to us today, is he? But he, we have his words, we have his teaching, we have his doctrine, and guess who is bringing all of that to our remembrance according to John 14 and John 16? The Holy Spirit. He will bring to your remembrance. He will remind you. He will guide you. So following Christ is to be led of the Spirit, and to be led of the Spirit is to follow Christ. If somebody says, well, the Spirit led me to do such and such, and Christ taught against it, the Spirit didn't lead you. Not the Holy Spirit. There's some Spirit led you that deceived you. So these two match. They're in perfect harmony. They're two of the three persons of the Godhead. They are not divisive. They are in perfect, perfect harmony in that respect. So I want to throw that out there and make sure you understand that. Let me read the scripture in John 16 where Christ said this about the Holy Spirit. John 16 and 13. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. The word guide there is translated about as many times if I remember lead as it is guide. In fact, I think guide twice, lead three times. Okay, So when we talk about the guidance of the Spirit of God, that's synonymous with being led by the Spirit of God. Sometimes people get, you know, we get erroneous ideas with words. You know, guide, guide. Okay, a guide can give you options. Would you like to go here? Would you like to go there? Would you like to see this? Would you like to see that? You can do this, you can do that. But to be led, there's no options. You know, you follow. If you're being led, you follow. Right? So that's why I read that. I want you to understand that to guide here is to be totally submissive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Christ said He would do, is guide you, lead you into all truth. And so make sure what you feel is according to what the Bible says. It could just be a deceptive feeling. You know, that's like somebody saying, well, I, uh, I'm going to pray about being baptized. Ain't no need to pray about being baptized. The Bible commands it. Do it. It doesn't tell us to pray about baptism, you know. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Well, I'm, I'm seeking to be led of the Spirit about baptism. No, no. That, that's plain and simple. There's other things the Spirit leads in, but a plain teaching commandment uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to be led whether to do this or do Oh, don't do that. The Bible says do this. So some stuff people, you know, they're just not thinking or they ain't been taught or the devil's working on them, you know, in that regard. And you just got to cut through the chase. And say, 
Hey, you don't need to pray about that. The Bible says do it. Do it. Don't think about doing that. The Bible says refrain from that. You know? And the Spirit of God will make that abundantly clear if we seek His answer. I have had and do have a lot of people come to me asking me about things. And it took me a while to catch on to this as a young pastor, and I guess it's true of all pastors. And I thought they were coming to me to really want to know what to do and what the Bible taught so they could do it. And that should be the case for God's people. But so oftentimes, many people are coming telling me what they're going to do and wanting me to confirm it and put my stamp of approval on it. That's not what I'm to do. I'm to tell you what it says, and you are to do it. And so, don't ask for a confirmation of what you've already made up your mind to do. You know, we all, me included, need to seek the teaching of the Bible, and the Spirit of God will only lead us that. Consult this before you inject your opinion or anything else into it, okay? Because that don't matter anyway. As followers of Christ, we're to do what He says to do at all costs. And of course, it is the Spirit of God that causes us to profess the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes that abundantly clear in Romans chapter 10 about when the sinner is converted. He will not be ashamed of Christ but will confess Christ. In verse 10, For the heart with the heart, and I emphasize our heart, not head. Believing is not intellectual. It is in the deepest recesses of your being that you believe. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We have a great history of God's people, a great long trail of blood up till the present of people who could have not confessed Christ and lived, but they chose rather to suffer many afflictions, persecutions, and even death because they were bold enough to confess Christ as Lord and Savior and not recant. So it is the Spirit of God again that causes people to do that very thing. Let me emphasize this just a little bit. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And when it says confess that Jesus is of God, we're not talking about like confessing that, yeah, Jesus is, is the Son of God just like George Washington was president, first president of the United States. We're not talking about some intellectual fact. Okay, This is embracing all that the Bible says about Christ, who He was, what He did, what He accomplished, and what He's going to do. You embrace all the truth about Christ. Okay, And you only do that by faith. Well, you're only going to come to that point by God's Holy Spirit and by God's grace. God must dwell in a person if a person arrives at that point. I believe He's the eternal, everlasting Son of God. I believe He came incarnate by a virgin in order to die on a cross, in order that He might save me from my sins by His own blood, that He rose from the dead the third day. He's alive, wealth, right hand of the Father. And one day He's coming again. You embrace it all. And if you do that, that's the grace of God. How true is that? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Just as true of you as it was of Peter. These famous words I'm sure you'll recognize. 
when Jesus asked the disciples a very pertinent question about who people said He was, they gave Him some answers, and then He asked, well, who do you say? And after all, that's all that really matters, isn't it? It doesn't matter what other people think about Christ. What do you think of Christ? That's what you'll be judged for. What do you believe about Christ? Peter said in Matthew 16, in verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say to him? Applies to you, applies to me, everybody that believes that. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It's a divine revelation. It's something that is brought about by the Spirit of God. And then obedience unto baptism, it says. Being converted, professing our faith, confessing our faith in Christ. And here's really how we do profess or confess Christ publicly is by obedience to baptism. It's in the commission, isn't it? One, two, three. Preach the gospel. Those that believe, number one, are eligible for baptism, and they are to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then what? A teaching process all the rest of your life after baptism. An instruction process. Disciple. A pupil in that regard. So a person that is following Christ has been born of the Spirit of God, has the Spirit of God indwelling them, and is led by the Spirit, is going to be led from conversion straight to the baptismal waters. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 makes it clear. The much great disputed verse. <laughs> One of the biggest of the New Testament, and it need not be so. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, have been, made, have been all made to drink into one one spirit this is the one verse of scripture by which so many have erroneously teaching that there is a baptism by the holy spirit and there is no such thing there cannot be water baptism and another baptism Else the Bible contradicts and we might as well cash it in. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. What is the one baptism? It's water baptism. And people say, well, the Lord, you know, John the Baptist said there's going to be a baptism and, you know, yeah. And he said the Lord was going to do the baptizing. Matthew 3 and 11. John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me whose shoe latches I'm not, in, not worthy to unlatch. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And people just can't seem to get that right. I mean, for baptism, you have to have a ministrator, you have to have a candidate, and you have to have an element to baptize the person in. When we baptize people, somebody, a male member of this church, usually me, the pastor, baptizes a, immerses a believer, a proper candidate, into the element of water. That's baptism. He, Christ, will baptize you, believers who make up the church, in the medium or element of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened on Pentecost, and it hadn't happened since, and it's not going to. The church has had the power of the Holy Spirit ever since the day of Pentecost. They were anointed, immersed in it that day, and the church has had it every since. The key thing here is the little word by. 
And people read that and think, bye. Okay, the Spirit is the one doing the administering or is the administrator. No such thing. If that's true in this verse, then it contradicts water baptism in all the other places. And I always want to remind you this. Literally, the little word by, not getting too technical here, taking too much time, is the little Greek word in, E-N. And most of the time, in fact, how many times is it? I can't remember. It's over a thousand times. The normal translation is in, I-N, when this word shows up. And the second uh, couple, 300, 200 and something maybe, or 100 and something, is by. But we, we, in our English language, we get hung up on by. If it's by, then here again, this is the source, you know. When in fact... The latter part of this verse is what it's teaching. We've all been made to drink into one spirit. So it is in one spirit. The leading of one spirit. In fact, I'll take the time. Luke's gospel, quickly. Luke's gospel in chapter 2. Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 27. All right, I'll show you. This rectifies. This is when Christ was a babe uh, and was in the temple to uh, the things be done with the turtle doves and all for the Mosaic law. And it says here um, in verse 25 is Simeon, who was promised he'd see the Messiah. Verse 27, he, Simeon, came, notice, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus to do for him after the custom of law, blah, blah, blah. It goes on. My Bible literally has a little notation by the word by and says at the end of the verse, in. I don't know if yours does or not. Some Bibles do that. But that's, that's what it's rendered. How did Simeon come? By the Holy Spirit. Was the, did the Holy Spirit grab him by the nose and bring him to the... I mean, did it put a noose around his neck and... You know, well, whatever he did, it was invisible, but it was a leading by the presence of the Spirit, was it not? So it was in submission to and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen is speaking. Same thing. If it's not, then again, the Bible is a huge contradiction. So, let's leave that and go on. Example of believer's baptism. Well, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls. They were baptized, added to the church. Were they not? Uh, when Lydia, we've been talking about her, the Lord opened her heart, she attended other things. But Paul, what, what happened next? She was baptized. What happened to the Philippian jailer after he believed? He was baptized. What happened to the eunuch when Philip was preaching to him? And he said, well, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? He said, if you believe with all your heart, you can. They stopped. He was baptized. So after conversion, the same Spirit leads us to the baptismal waters. And then finally, the last thing in the paragraph says, we do now in the presence of God and angels in this assembly, most solemnly joyfully enter into covenant one with another as one body in Christ. One body. Every local church is one body. All the local churches never come together to make a body. There is no universal or mystical body because 
A body is always identified by its parts, whether it's a car body, a human body, an animal body, or whatever body. The parts must be assembled for it to be a body. A disassembled body is not a body. That's the teaching of Scripture. So, Paul told the Corinthian church, you are the body of Christ, period. So, we're a body of Christ right here in Aztec, New Mexico. There are other bodies of Christ in other places. The church is an institution, but it exists only in local bodies. Christ said in Matthew 16, 18, after Peter said what he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This is so elementary, but so vitally important. Christ, the head of the church, said he would build his church. And that didn't, even, that didn't mean just build and start the first one and then hands off letting it go. No, it's got the idea, I forget the tense of the verb for what it is, the future tense there, that it is a continuous building all the way through the ages. And Christ said, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this is why we don't have a church today that's 2,000 years old. Christ has been building. Churches cease to be for one reason or another. And they sprout up in other places just like trees, mushrooms, plants, and, and other things do. Christ has been building His church. And so where you find a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, identified by the pattern of the New Testament, you can say, well, the Lord built a church there. You know, missionaries use the term church planting. I don't even like that. Uh, let's give due where due is right, right? The Lord builds His church. Does He use missionaries? Yeah. He uses His church. He uses efforts. He uses labor. But give glory to the Lord. He does it. We're just the instruments in that respect. So the Lord is building His church. And wherever He builds one, He builds it according to the good pleasure of His will. He is the head of the church. And he builds it, if it were to be a perfect church, which there is no perfect church because we're made up of imperfect members. But he builds it on the same basis and consensus, and that is by and through the Spirit of God's leadership. Leading his adopted children to the baptismal waters, to the assembly, to be covenanted together, to carry out the commission. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read after verse 13. For the body is not one member but many. Verse 14. It has to be, doesn't it? Assembled body. An unassembled body has never done anything. Uh, as some have said, a universal church is never assembled, a universal church is never voted, a universal church is never prayed, a universal church is never, you know, on and on and on you could go. But it is all done in wherever a body is. The body is not one member, but many. And it don't matter what part you may think you are, every part is vitally important. All right? Get it right. Don't let the devil say, or entice you, well, I'm just a little part. I'm just a little toe. I'm just, I'm just, hey, thank God you're a part of it. Thank God you're not on the broad road to destruction. God has saved you, plucked you out of the world, revealed himself unto you, and placed you in the greatest institution that there ever will be, his church, his bride. David said he wouldn't mind being a doorkeeper in the house of God. I don't mind being the little toe in the Lord's church. Do you? 
If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, Because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? Okay, so you get the idea here. God does this. We don't choose and decide what part we want to be. Get verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased Him. You know, we've got to be careful about who we decide we don't want to go to church with, don't we? And of course, we realize the devil puts tares in the wheat. But uh, I don't know how good a vision some we may have in identifying them sometimes. It takes time. But the bottom line is, God puts His people in the church as He pleased Him. And the Lord said, what? I will build my church. Now, if you were building it and I was building it, I guarantee you we wouldn't have who we got here today. We'd have probably a whole different group of people if it was up to me deciding or you deciding, wouldn't it? But ours wouldn't be what His is. The Lord does it best. And we'd have people there that didn't belong, and we'd have the wrong components, and we'd have two ears and four legs and six hands and all kinds of stuff, but the Lord knows how to build His church. Read on with me and we'll close. And if they were all one member, where were the body? We can't all be hands. We can't all be eyes. We can't all be what? But now are they many members, yet but one body? My grandsons are here today. This is on a level where they can understand it. I mean, this is ten years old and below stuff, you know? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head of the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our comely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh, lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, and that the members should have the same care one for another. And we'll be coming to that verse again, of course, as we go through the church covenant. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, in verse 18, and God sets the members in the body. That's it. So, we are covenanted together in this assembly. Solemnly, yes, because we are humbled by what God has chosen to do for us. And joyfully, because this is the best place a believer can be on the planet. This is the best place you can come to. The pillar and the ground of the truth. The bond, the peace, the joy. The communion we have with one another and with our Lord being gathered together in one body in Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It didn't get any better. So it is a solemn thing, as I've said to you before. Accountability, responsibility, but a joyful thing to be a part of. And recognize we are covenanted together in this body because He did it. Take it away from you today as we leave here. Again, this is all the working of the head of the church through the leadership of the Spirit of God upon the individual members of the church that brings us to this place. I mean, it's not about us. It's all about Him. It's all about us being submissive 
to the leading of the Spirit. And what does the Bible say? Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't grieve Him. Be submissive and be led by Him. And I say again, a sure way to know, am I being led of the Spirit in anything, is this. How great a fear do you have of not being led by the Spirit? If you've got a real fear, I mean, and God knows your heart, you don't have to tell me. I don't want you to tell me. But be honest with yourself. If you have a real fear in your heart of going, doing, deciding on your own, then you're being submissive to the Spirit of God. And you will prayerfully seek the Spirit of God. And the, God, the, the Spirit of God will manifest the will of God by giving you the peace of God. That's the way it works, folks. So, let us be submissive to the leadership of the Spirit of God who will guide you into all truth. And if we all be led of the Spirit, guess what kind of church we're going to have? God bless this to your hearing.